You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate. Each episode, we bring you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. All right, guys, welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host with the most, Dante Belmonte, and today our guest is David Dodge. Now, David is a super cool guy. I've been chatting with him for a little bit, and he wears a lot of hats in the real estate game. <laughs> I think he's going to get into that a little more. He's having some internet issues, but we're going to make this work, so that's why the audio is not top-notch. Uh, Dave, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, guys, sorry. My internet is out today. I'm on a cell phone, but Dante Belmonte, I love that name. Thank you for having me, brother. Thank of you for course. having me. I'm honored to be on your show, and I'm grateful for your time. So thank you very much, man. Likewise. Uh, but yeah, I am, uh, my name is David Dodge. I am an investor out of St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. I have been investing in real estate for 15 years. However, first 10 years, I was buying one property a year, maybe, if that. I was paying right. retail, putting down 20%. I did not know about discount properties. And right. about five years ago, I learned about discount properties. Since then, I have bought over 400 houses. Wow. And uh, I will never pay retail for a property ever again. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so tell me, what was, your, what was your job before you got into real estate? What were you doing? Good question, man. So uh, I went to college out of, out of uh, Missouri, here where I live, and... Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in college. So I just got a, a degree in financial planning because I couldn't get into business school. And that was basically the same thing minus a couple hard math classes. Right. So I got a degree in financial planning, which is a good degree actually. I had emphasis in real estate, which was kind of worthless, but you learned a little <laughs> bit about the big corporate shit. And uh, got out of college just like most people and didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I had a couple random jobs doing sales and or marketing. I I worked um, for a company called Cintas for about a year. Um, I took another job working for a mobile marketing company uh, whose client was CNN. So I indirectly worked for CNN for a year. Okay. And then after those two years, I decided, man, this, this sucks having a, a boss and all these. Uh, and hours and, and tasks. tasks. And hours. <laughs> and, yeah, man. So I started a couple businesses. And I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I guess the first business I started was a web development company. We were just building little websites for people. And then we started a couple e-commerce stores. We were selling products on Amazon and Groupon. Yep, did that as well. <laughs> um, yeah, man. And then um, I had four or five other little, little, you know, little gigs, essentially, just other little businesses and None of them really were that great, but they always paid the bills. Um, so yeah, mostly just a, a bunch of stuff with the web. You know, okay. that was yeah. that was kind of what I was doing. So <laughs> about five years ago, though, I'm 35, so I guess I had uh, I don't know about eight eight years of just random random jobs. Like that, I, it was basically I was a business owner. Though. I always owned the business that I worked for, I worked right. at. But you know, I mean. I was a solopreneur. I had a couple partners for the most part. We never really had like a, any big businesses. So I don't know, five years ago, I learned about, and, and at that point, I already had about 10, 11 properties. I had some rentals. Okay. And I guess I was around 30 years old. And I decided, you know, I know some people that own 100, 150, 200. I know a guy that has 600 rentals even. Wow. And these people live a great life. They're always traveling. They're always, you never see them in an you know, office. Say that again. You never see them in an office. You see them everywhere else, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're always just living a good life. Right. So yeah. I just said, you know what? I can do this. Why, why can't I, I mean, if these people can do that, I can do this too. Right. So oh, yeah. I hired, I'm actually, I went and I bought a ton of books and I bought a couple courses online about real estate investing. I, I the first one I bought was rich dad. Okay. Yeah. $7,000 program. <laughs> I didn't learn, I didn't learn a thing about, about wholesaling. Oh, okay. About wholesaling. No, but, uh, or about buying at a discount really, but I learned a lot about real estate. I'm right. not knocking rich dad. Great However, 
Yeah, I'm not knocking them. It was good. It was good education. Every everything in that course was educational, and I didn't know most of it. So it was like, to me, it was like a prerequisite course for a college course. You know, it was like a like a prereq right. before you can get into a good one. Yep. So I did that, and then I hired another coach that taught me about buying at a discount. Taught me about wholesaling, and um, real quick, there, explain wholesaling. No problem. Wholesaling. If you're not familiar with wholesaling, guys, is buying at a great price and selling at a good price. That's the simplest way to describe it. Now, when it comes to wholesaling real estate, you are contracting a property at a great price and you are selling that contract at a good price. So So you never take title, you just put it under contract. Not always, but most times you don't have to put any of your own money in it or take title, correct. You can assign it or you can double close it. Yes, exactly. So it's basically flipping houses with none of your own money. And the coolest part about it is you don't have to do any work like right. to fix it up. Okay, awesome. People all ask right. me all the time, Dave, how do you flip so many houses? I think I don't even go in them. You know, like <laughs> I'm not over there painting and doing all that crap. No, I'm just putting it on a website and selling it, you know? Yep. Okay. So um, I lost my train of thought. Remember what we talked yeah, about? Uh, you're, uh, <laughs> you hired a coach, told you a wholesaling oh, yeah, yeah. discount properties. I hired a coach, man. And he was like, he's like, hey, Dave, I can... I can teach you how to flip houses virtually, like wholesale them. Right. And I said, all right. I hired them. At that point in time, I was, I, I knew about wholesaling, but I was, I was struggling. I was, I was trying to do my first deal. And I, and I would say three months went by and I couldn't get a deal. I had three or four deals that I thought were going to close. I was so close and all three of them fell apart. Mm. And then I hired this coach and within two weeks I did a deal after I hired him. And then the next week I did another deal. Okay. So basically in the first two months I had like four or five deals done already. So that was also going on it. Right. But you got to think though, that wasn't the first two months. That was really month four and five. The first right. three months I struggled with no help and got nowhere. I learned along the way and then I hired him and then I, you know, had, had some deals right away. It was awesome. Great guy, still a friend. He actually texted me last night. Yeah, the long, the long and short of it is he taught me how to get my phone ringing with motivated sellers. Before that, in the first three months, I was handwriting letters, which I'm not saying is a bad thing to do. Don't, don't, you know, definitely start there if you can't afford yep, it. That's where I started as well, but, handwritten but letters. But it's a volume, right, but it's a volume game. So if you're only handwriting 10 or 20 at night, it's going to take you a long time to get a deal. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Definitely do it. If you are on a shoestring budget, some letters are better than no letters. Yep. However, if you can send 5,000 letters with two clicks of a mouse versus 600 letters over 15 or probably 200 hours worth of work, yeah. why would you not choose that option? They got to have the money, of course, to afford it. Right. So it's a, it's a numbers game. It's a volume game. So what I was doing differently, I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to sum up what I paid this coach like $7,000 for in about three minutes. He taught me how to consistently market for deals. Prior to that, I was cold calling people, which I'm again, not saying don't do, but it makes this business a whole, my point is this, it makes this business a whole lot easier if you can get these people to call you. Yeah. versus you trade your time to call them, okay? So there's two right. ways to go about marketing, two ways, hunting or fishing. Hunting is you going out and trying to locate that person. You could be cold calling them. You could be cold texting them. You could be um, door knocking. You can be networking. These are all forms of hunting. Right. You trade your time to hunt it's manual intensive it's, it's it's labor intensive fishing on the other hand you can bring one fishing pole to the lake or you can bring 200 fishing poles to the lake now let's talk about this for a second Dante if I if me and you go fishing mm-hmm. and you bring one pole and I bring 50 how many more fish you think I'm gonna catch than you buddy 49 more I mean I don't know about that but at least five or ten <laughs> right I mean yeah, I'm gonna it, catch it, some it, fish Yes, more. Right, right. 
So whenever it comes to fishing, that is something that you don't trade time for. You trade money. So there's two okay. budgets that you need to have. There's you have some marketing. There's hunting and there's fishing. You have some budgets that you need to have. There's a monetary budget and then there's a time budget. So when you hunt, you are allocating time. Okay. When you fish, you are allocating capital. You're allocating money. Mm-hmm. When you fish, you put your message out into the marketplace, who you are and what problem you can solve. And a number, an email address, or a website for somebody to contact you at. It can be on a postcard. That can be on a letter. It can be on a sticky note, which is basically also hunting. That's a mixture. It could be on a radio advertisement. It could be on AdWords. It could be anywhere that you trade a call to action for money versus the flip side where you're cold calling and you're trading your time. Yeah. So essentially, my coach said, David, you need to get your phone ringing if you want to be successful in this business. He said, you still need to do the cold calling and the door knocking. And in fact, you need to do two to three times more than you're doing. But you also need to make your life easier. And the sooner you can get your phone ringing, the less hunting you're going to have to do. So let me tell you something, Dante, five years ago, when I started in this business, you may or may not have, I don't know if you listened to my podcast or not before, but when I first started five years ago, full time, I had $60,000 worth of credit card debt. Some people might say that's a lot, some people might say that's nothing, all right, but that's a decent chunk. I hired my coach, put that on the credit card, and then I spent another $3,000 on marketing on that credit card. Way I looked at it, what's the difference between, in marketing, right. Well, um, with the marketing idea is postcards. The first thing I did was postcards. I think I sent out about uh, maybe 5,000 postcards. Okay. And, and, that okay. Was, and that wasn't all at once. That was like, that was like a three-month period, and I dropped them every week randomly, you know, because I didn't want to get too overwhelmed. Right. And, uh, but the way I looked at it was, you know, I'm 60 grand in debt. What's the difference between 60 and 67, 68,000? <laughs> I mean, shit. Either way, I'm in the hole. You know, screw it. So I put it on a credit card and I'm not recommending that anybody do that unless you are financially responsible. And that's up to you to decide. But I did that. And like I told you, I had struggled for three months hunting and I almost had a couple deals and we get deals every week hunting. We still hunt. We have full time virtual assistants that do cold calling and and cold texting as well as our follow-ups all day long, 40 hours a week. We also have a great budget that we allocate towards fishing. So essentially, we, we have radio ads that play. We send out postcards. Uh, we do AdWords, so on and so forth. We do, we do now, a lot of wh- Which one do you find to be the most productive for you? Or are they fairly you know, they, even across the board? They all kind of, yeah. You know, it's like, Sometimes I won't get a good deal from one of those channels for two two whole months, and I'll spend two, three, four thousand. But then I'll get one where I'll make twenty five, thirty k, and it's just like you know what? It's totally worth it. Yeah, it's totally worth it. That you that's the know. thing with like the the mailers. Let's say like fifty cents per mailer. We'll just say or um, you, you send out five thousand. I mean, how much is that? And people complain about spending that amount. It's like that amount you spent to send out five thousand mailers. If you get one of them to come back, if you get a deal off of one of them, it was totally worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. So here's another thing that, that my coach taught me. Whenever you are spending money on marketing, it's not really a cost. It's an investment. Mm, that's a big that's difference. Those are two different things, right? Yeah, it may seem like a cost coming out of your bank account. You're spending it. But you are investing that, right? Like you said, you could spend two, three, four thousand dollars on marketing and get a deal that makes you 30 grand. Now, you're not guaranteed to get that, but it's good. Right. Right? So is that really a cost? I mean, come on, that's just an investment. That's what you do when you invest. You you put something in 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 hopes to get something bigger back. That's what investments are. Yep. So I always look at all my marketing as investments. And if I don't get a deal from one for two, three months, I don't really care because we're getting calls every day. They all get added into our follow-up system. And then our virtual assistants are calling these people Every two, three, four weeks, maybe sometimes every two, three, four months, we even have sellers that we have on yearly follow-ups. We've been calling wow. for four years in a row already. 
<laughs> and they will five. know exactly who to think of when they're ready to do it. Right. But, but whenever they say, hey, I'm not interested in selling, I say, hey, you know, I teach my people to say, hey, and I do it too. I just can call it every now and then. I say, hey, you mind if I call you in a year? <laughs> they're like, yeah, right. Like you remember. Yeah. As they are cool. <laughs> I got a CRM, boom, anybody in a year. Pass my assistant. And then when we call back, we make a joke up about it. We go, hey, talked to you a year ago. I told you I was going to call you in a year. You didn't believe me. I'm calling <laughs> you back. You got that house over there on 234 Collier Street? I still want to buy it. Oh, uh, Dave, I don't, I don't want to sell this. I get it. I'm going to call you next year. <laughs> sure do it enough. Year. We do it over there you over are so there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with setting your follow-ups far out. It's, any follow-up, no matter how far apart it is, is better than no follow-up. Amen to that. Period. That's a great, great nugget. Period. Now, those are the rare cases. Most of our follow-ups are monthly or every, you know, whenever, every couple of weeks. But even the people that say, I'm not interested in selling, unless they tell you to crash your car into a bridge or, you know, unless they tell you just to completely F off, we always just say, hey, we're going to call you next year, see if anything changes. Is that okay? Yep. And 99 times out of 100, they say, sure. Because they don't believe you. But we do. We follow up with everybody, always. Okay, so what is your investment strategy? So obviously, it sounds like you do wholesaling. It sounds like you do some fix and flips. What about um, other investment types? It sounds like you dipped into rentals a little bit back in the early days. That's something you still do. Go over that a little bit with me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So here's the thing, guys. I love wholesaling, and I'll never stop doing it. We just locked up a deal. What is what day is today? It's Friday. We locked up a deal on Wednesday this week. Five units. We paid two hundred and fifty grand. We we got a we got a contract on it this morning for three hundred and twenty. We'll make about huh. seventy thousand on this go. wholesale deal. Okay. I will never stop wholesaling. It is the easiest way to make large sums of money. Now I would put that with my with my acquisitions manager, of course. Everyone's gonna get paid, everyone's gonna eat. Yep. But that was a great deal. Now we don't get those every week. We come across a deal like that, you know, once a quarter, maybe even a little sooner than that. But we I love wholesaling. So to me, wholesaling is a means to an end. In fact, <clears throat> I wrote the book, The Ultimate Guide to Wholesaling Real Estate. And where can people find so that? Go on Amazon. Amazon, okay. Yeah, Amazon. It's a, it, this thing is the ultimate guide. 273 pages, 35 chapters. Everything you need to know about wholesaling real estate. My, my partner, Mike, and I, we wrote this book over about a two-year period. And it's an awesome book. So I, I guess you could say that I wrote the book on wholesaling, but I wasn't the first guy, obviously. Yep. But I wrote a book on it. And I love wholesaling. However, wholesaling, and I don't want you guys to be confused. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this very clear. Wholesaling is a job. I don't like jobs. Right. I like this job, but I don't want to do, I don't want to have a job. So in order to have a business, you need to be able to put people in place, team members, and allocate those tasks because it is a labor-intensive job. Answering the phone, negotiating with people, running appointments or sending somebody else to run appointments and get pictures, marketing those properties. It takes a lot of work. I'm not saying it's hard. It's just intensive. So to me, wholesaling is really a means to an end. It's a means to an end to no longer buy properties retail like I did for the first 10 years mm -hmm. and put down 20% because you're so limited when you put down 20%. You know, unless you inherit a bunch of money or you win the lottery, you got to work your ass off to save that money after paying taxes. So wholesaling is a means to an end because I don't want to buy properties retail. So right. basically the motto, the motto and model that we have at our company is keep the best and sell the rest. Very simple. Kind of catchy yeah, too. Yeah, it is. Keep the best, sell the rest. So the best deals that come in that we want to either rehab and flip ourselves or buy and hold as a rental property, we do. And then the ones that are either skinny or massive, we wholesale. 
because we either want the capital infusion into our business mm-hmm. or it's a skinny deal and we don't want to deal with it. So we wholesale it. So okay. we keep the best ones, which doesn't necessarily mean the highest margin. Again, if you can wholesale a deal and make 50 to 70 grand, or you can rehab it and make 80, you're talking a difference of selling it in two to three weeks on the first, first deal or the difference of selling it in maybe seven or eight months on the second side. Come on now. Take that okay. money now. Yeah, yeah get it in there. totally. Keep the best, we sell the rest. So uh, to me, and I've, I've bought, I've wholesaled over 400 houses in the last five years. But in the last, this is, but that's not even really impressive to me. This is impressive. In the last mm, 14 to 15 months, my partners and I have bought 63 properties that we have rented out. Is it, what's the mix? Single family, multifamily, or is it a mix of both? Um, 63 individual properties. So we have a 10 family, a couple, four families and a bunch of duplexes, but those are all individual properties. So okay. Any single terms, families in that rental mix or not really? Yeah. Like 80% of it. 80% oh, of it wow. is single families. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Those are, we only have a couple of multis in there, but um, yeah, if you count the doors, it's like 80 or 90, it's probably 90 doors. So I just nice. count the roofs. So you have 63 okay. properties at this point. And since we started buying at a discount and built our relationship over the first two to three years with our banks. We are using the Burr strategy to buy all of these properties. So of break the down the Burr real rent, quick. Say that again? Break down the Burr real quick, just for those listeners yeah, that don't yeah, yeah. know. So, absolutely. So Burr, all Burr is, Burr is an acronym for one. It's B with what, four R's? Yeah, B with four R's. B-R-R-R-R. And that stands for buy, renovate or rehab, rent out, refinance, repeat. Awesome. One more time. Buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. There's a lot of R's in there. So you can get, you can get them mixed up sometimes. <laughs> all right. So here is the beautiful thing about the Burr strategy. Now, again, all this is a strategy. And it's a strategy to acquire a lot of assets very rapidly. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. I like to keep things very simple. What is Burr? It is a strategy to buy a lot of assets very rapidly with little money. So of the 63 properties that we bought over the last call 14 months, we averaged $2,200 per property at the end of the day in it. Reason is, is because we're buying them at a discount for one. That's where it all starts. You got to buy yep, at a you discount. You got to blow blow market. No matter what, no matter what your exit is, buy at a discount. You make your money when you buy. Here's a here's a nugget. You make your money when you buy. You get paid when you sell. Yep. Amen. But you don't That's... make your money when you sell. You make your money when you buy. Yep. Okay. Okay. So of the sixty three properties that we have, our average and each one is twenty two hundred dollars. Reason is is we buy it at a discount. And then we typically spend between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars for two reasons. Now we spend that to renovate the property, of course, but for two reasons. One, we need to spend enough money to be able to add at least that amount of money in value. So if I'm going to spend fifteen, I want to gain thirty grand worth of value. Okay. All right. And two, and you can't do that with five grand. You add five, you're not no. going to get ten. No. But if you add fifteen or twenty, you you, you might get thirty or forty. Right. Right, because we're going two, for a higher appraisal value. Absolutely. And then two, banks are going to be not willing to lend you based upon just the appraisal unless they see A, that you bought it at a discount, and B, that you have improved the property by a minimum of 15 grand. Because put yourself in the bank's shoes. They're not going to mm-hmm. lend you 80% of an appraised value if that house needs work still. Yep. If you bought it and you fixed it up, well, why wouldn't they want to lend you money on it? It's a good house. So what has changed is now we are getting our loans based upon the appraisal and the appraisal only whenever we're, whenever we're exiting these deals, when we're refinancing. And that's what we mean by exit is we're taking them off of the private lender's interest, mm-hmm. refinancing it over to a bank who sends the appraiser out. Now, we bought it at a discount. We've spent money to fix it up, but we've increased the value by double that amount. So not only did we increase the value by what we've spent on the rehab, but we bought a discount anyway, so there's built-in equity. So our goal is to be all in of the appraised amount 
at 70 to 75%. That way, if the bank will lend 70 to 75% of the appraised amount, they will pay our lenders back in full. And in yeah, some you, cases, you pull out everything. In, some, in some cases, not always, right. we'll walk with money. We walked mm -hmm. with one uh, last week with six, with six grand. That's when you know you did a good job on the property, <laughs> everything throughout. Everything went great. Now, that doesn't always happen. Though. Sometimes we have to leave five or 10K in the property. Yep. Okay? And that's why if you average it over 63, we're at about 2,200. Now, my goal is to get to 150 and it's to be zero. So I got to work extra hard on the next 137 or 40, whatever that number is, to get more money back than I'm leaving in so I can average that number down. In the okay. beginning, we weren't very good at this. So we were leaving five, probably more like 10 or 15,000 in these, like the first 10. But then we got better and better at it. And now we're averaging zero, if not walking with a little bit. Right? That's, yeah. So there's a big difference between getting a loan on a percentage of what you paid and rehabbed it for. Most bankers, when you go to them and you say, hey, I want to get a loan, they're going to say, um, okay. How much did you buy it for and how much did you spend fixing it up? No, I bought it for a hundred and I spent 50. They're going to say, great, we'll give you a loan for 80% of 150. Right. So they well, do loan to cost to, and set a loan to value. You are, you're guaranteed to leave money in that no matter yeah. what those numbers are, no matter what they are, you have to leave money in that deal. But when you can change the mindset of the banker, which you do very simply by reducing their risk, buying at a discount, add value by fixing that property up you've now reduced the risk of the banker and the banker will be more inclined to want to work with you based on the appraisal it's actually easier for them less paperwork right yeah oh yeah but but the banker is going to want to see a couple things they're going to want to see a relationship with that bank so you're going to have to have some accounts there they're going to want to see some tenure they're also going to want to see that you know what you're doing. So they're going to want to see you flip a couple of houses and get some loans from them before they're just going to flip the switch and say, Oh, bring, you know, bring me all the deals. You got to build a relationship and you have to show them that you are a professional. Okay. Yep. And every bank's going to have a little bit different guidelines, Dante. The bank, the main banks in St. Louis that we work with, they all want to see at least 15 K worth of repairs. So, so that's a, a bank, thing. not a credit union. Oh, we, 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 have, we use both. both. Okay. Yeah, yeah, both, both, both. But at this point, and in the beginning, the beginning, we had to prove all this, right? Now that we have a relationship built and they know that we know what we're doing, we don't have to send them the numbers of what we paid for it or even prove that we spent the 15K. We just send them before and after pictures. And we don't send them a lot. We'll send them like maybe three to five pictures before and three to five pictures after all in one email. I mean, talking simple, simple, simple. Hey, here's the outside. Here's the kitchen. Here's the living room. Here's the basement before and after everything looks night and day. We paint everything. We clean it up. We put new kitchens in, right? So again, we've reduced mm -hmm. the bank's risk. So they say, okay, well, you guys had to spend at least 15 grand to do all that. You don't even need to send me your spreadsheet anymore. The pictures are great. Well, you've built that relationship. You've built that trust. And now we've that... simplified a ton of work on both sides. And then they say, okay, the appraiser is going to be out there next Tuesday. And we go out there and we meet the appraiser and we show them comps that we want to show them. The appraiser comes back with the, with the report, usually three to five days later. And the bank will lend anywhere from 70, 75 to 80%, depending on the neighborhood in the part of town okay. on that appraisal. And we know going in, if we're going to get a 70, 75 or 80% based on the part of town, we know the part of town that they're going to lend on. So our goal will be to get all in purchase plus rehab plus holding plus interest on that money that we borrow to do all of it at 70 75 percent okay so that's the numbers you shoot that's for on that Absolutely. now when you go after you're done so that's so really you, the means to an end guys wholesaling i'm gonna need to interrupt you wholesaling yeah, no, awesome, yeah. and i'll always do it but it is a job all right i don't really like to work i'm kind of lazy i like to make money while i sleep and that's why I'm building my rental portfolio up to about 150 rental properties because I don't have to work anymore after that point. I don't really have to yeah. work now, but you know, it's uh, it'll be way different at that point. And, um, 
I, you, you can't do it without buying properties at a discount. And that's really what wholesaling is, is marketing to motivated sellers who will sell you those properties at a discount. Once you buy a discount of property, you don't have to wholesale it if you don't want to, right? Mm -hmm. You can keep it as a rental. You can rehab it and flip it. That's what we do. We keep the best, we sell the rest, okay? But you still got to find that motivated seller before you can do anything. If you right. want to be a good investor, successful one that stays in the game, doesn't do one or two flips and gets burned, yeah, right? No, you make yeah. your money when you buy. We see it buy. so often. You make your money when you buy. You get paid when you sell. Everyone thinks it's backwards. No, no, no. no. You, you make your money on the, on the buy. You don't see any of it. You get paid later. You know, but if that. you're overpaying for properties, you, you may not get paid later. You may owe money. Yeah. Uh, we rehab all of our rentals. And then we probably have anywhere from two to three flips going at any time. Okay. So you've got crews working. Now, two questions for you. When, after you, you buy it, you rehab it, you rent it out, and then you go for the refinance, how long does that process um, refinance it to get all that money out? How long do you typically see that process take? That's a great question. So in the beginning, it took anywhere from four to six months. Oh, wow. That's okay. called, that's, well, well, hold on. Four to six months after you get it leased right. before you can get the refi. That's called lease seasoning. Yeah, seasoning. The bank needs to see seasoning. Yep. Right. Now, from the time that we buy it to the time that we start working on it, it's usually only a couple of days. We get okay. somebody over there and start doing at least clean outs or whatever, right? Get a new roof on it, get some windows ordered, whatever. The time that it takes to, to, to turn them, the rentals, those usually take anywhere between mm, two, two and four weeks. Rehabs can take anywhere from four weeks to, you know, maybe eight or 10, depending on how big of a project it is. Right. Okay. But if it's now, a rental and you're wanting to do it, you can, you know, get it in two to four weeks, um, ready to be leased, get it leased hopefully within a week. And then you have to wait four to six months. Now, again, those, that four or six months is what I had to wait. Your market might be different. Your bank yeah, different. Yeah, every market is different. Go, yep. Go talk to your banker, guys. This is a question for you and your banker. They may tell you you don't have any seasoning. But what I can guarantee you is if they give you seasoning, which they're most likely going to, over time and as you build your relationship with them and you prove that you are a professional, they will reduce the seasoning and completely eliminate it eventually. Yep. So after we got to about... 20 houses, our seasoning went from six months to three months. When we went from 20 houses to 40 houses, it went from three months to two months. When we, went to, when we got to 50 houses, some of our banks reduced the, census, reduced the uh, seasoning altogether. Some of our banks still want to see two months. Yeah. But most of our banks, they don't even care if it's leased because they know that we're going to the, get it done. So we've, we've built that relationship and we've proven that we're professionals. And this is not hard. This is not something that you're, if you're listening to this podcast, be like, oh, wow, like, you can do this. Go walk in your bank, ask who's in charge and ask if you can sit down with them. And if they tell you they're not going to lend you any money, don't get upset and walk out with your tail between your legs. They're going to probably tell you they're not going to lend you any money nine times out of ten. So good. What so you need good. to what you need to do is you need to say, "Hey, I get it. If I was in your shoes, I wouldn't lend me money either. <laughs> what do I need to do where I'm going to be lendable?" And they're going to tell you. They're going to say, "Fix your credit." They're going to say, "Save some money." They're going to say, "Pay off debt." Start doing those things, guys. Your bankers are the best coaches there are because yep. you don't have to pay them. They're going to help you use leverage to build wealth. And they're free. You can go get a free coaching session with any banker in town tomorrow. Go sit down with them. Hey, what do I need to do to get a loan or a line of credit or start flipping houses? And they're going to run your credit. And they're going to tell you what you got to do. So listen. It's simple. But again, don't expect to walk into the bank and get a $300,000 loan with no job. Right? But you need to still go talk to the, the bankers and build the relationship. Say, you know, walk in. This is what I would say. Use your own name. But hey, I'm Dave. I flip houses. I've only, maybe I've only done a couple, but I'm not going anywhere. And I'd like to build a relationship with you guys. And then they're going to say, oh, great. Open up a checking account. All right. Throw a couple hundred bucks in the checking account. Forget about it. Yep. Right? Oh, yeah. Ask them what you need 
to get a loan. And again, nine times out of 10 with you, this being your first attempt, they're going to tell you they can't lend you any money, but that's okay. Your goal really isn't to get money lent to you when you walk into the bank. Your goal is to figure out what you need to do to then get money lent to you. Because typically when you walk in a bank, you don't really need the money today anyway, right? You want to build, you want to be able to get pre-approved or have that for whenever you come across that deal. You don't want to do that on the flip side. You don't want to go find that deal and then have to figure out the money if you're trying to buy it, right? You want to have the money lined up first. So use your bankers as your coaches, man. Walk in, sit down with these people. Here's the thing that people don't really understand. Banks, they make their money by taking money from the depositors and paying them basically nothing after inflation. Yep. They take their money and they lend it out to, to, to you and me and everybody else at three to five times what they're paying the person that deposited the money. So in theory, a bank cannot make money without lending it out. When you go sit down with the banker and you say, I want a loan, they're seeing commissions. That's how they get paid. That's yep. how those banks stay in business. They don't just have all the money because you give it to them. They take that money and they lend it right out before you even leave the bank. It's gone. So when you go talk to a banker, they are going to be more than happy to talk with you about getting you a loan or figuring out what you need to do to become credit worthy and lendable. So I don't want to, I don't want to beat a dead horse to death here. No, you're doing, you're I, doing phenomenal. I think, yeah. I think I covered that pretty good though. I, I think you got your point across too. Yeah. I th- yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so talk to me real quick. So when you approach a potential seller you look for the wholesale deal or if it's good, you look for the fix and flip or you possibly make it a rental. There's many different avenues. So you have different ways you can go about it. Almost any property, if it's the right price, you can make it work in some avenue. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. What I don't really care what part of town. I mean, I, I don't do anything virtually. I, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and I do my all my real estate investing in St. Louis, Missouri. So right, right at home. You know, you basically, know if it's a 20 to 30 minute drive from where I live, maybe a little more than that, but it depends on the direction, I'll okay. go look at it. Or I'll send somebody from my team to go look at it. Yeah. And I don't really care if it's in a war zone. I don't really care if it's on fire. It all (laughs) comes down to buying it at a discount. Yeah. You got to buy it at a discount. If you are, if you are buying something, all right, let me put it into perspective. I tell this to sellers all the time. So I'm not bragging when I say this, I I, I know it might come off this way, but this is not my intention. Last year I bought 98 houses and I shouldn't say I, my company, me and my partners bought 98 houses. Dante, how many of those do you think I needed? Zero. Absolutely. 100% correct. I don't need any of those houses. But for the right price, I'll buy every one of them. Yep. Right? So whenever a seller tells me they're asking price, I don't even, I don't even want them to. I don't even care what that number is. It's irrelevant. Yeah. And all what matters is what, yeah. It matters is what I'm willing to pay. And often if I hear that number, it anchors high and it screws up my offer. So I like to come up with an offer before they even tell me what they want. And then whenever they tell me what they want, I say, hey, I appreciate that, but what do you need? Yeah. Okay? Because there's two different things between wanting something and needing something. And I don't really care what somebody wants. If they want something and they can get it from somebody else, go get it from them. They're wasting my time. I'm here to get it closed quick, right? All that we do as wholesalers is provide liquidity to the marketplace. That's it. That's all we do. Another yeah. way to look at it is we trade convenience a discount. It's very simple. It is. It's a very simple concept. Very simple. So I don't really care what somebody wants. Here's what I'm willing to pay, which is going to be 50 to 70 cents in the dollar, maybe a little higher in the nicest part of town. And really 50 cents in the dollar is, you know, 50 to 70 is like really an average. Like we were saying a minute ago, I'll buy a house that's literally on fire. So I'm going to buy it at <laughs> five to 10 cents on the dollar. Literally. It's a, it's a hot yeah, deal right there. I'm going to get that pun intended, bro. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm going to get it for five to 15 cents on the dollar. Right. So I don't really care what it is, where it's at. If I can get it for the right price, I will buy it. And I tell people this, why would I want to provide you the level of convenience that I do, which is three things guys. And if you're a wholesaler already, or you want to be one, just repeat after me. I pay cash. It doesn't have to be you. It could be your partner, mm-hmm. you and your partners. I pay cash. I close fast and I do my own inspection. 
I do my own, meaning me and my partners. I don't. Right. Like, yeah, you don't, don't put a contingency in there. In. Yeah, right. I do my own. Fast, cash, and convenient. Okay. Yeah. Now you can add so many things more if you want, but that just complicates people. People like simple. Yeah. So you are you are a cash buyer. You're there to solve their problem by offering them convenience. But you're not going to offer them convenience for free. Come on, guys. You got to get a discount. Yeah. And that's where it all comes into is finding that motivated seller that is willing to take what they need, not what they want. Yep. If, if they what they want, you go list it. <laughs> you go bring them an agent, exactly. bring them a referral, something like that. Right. Absolutely. That's not even a guarantee. And those are the kind of people. Those are the kind of people that we will put on that six month or one year follow up. Hey, you know, I got this house and I. One on the street just sold for 160. Mine needs a little bit of work, but I think I could maybe get, you know, 140, 150 for it. I go look at it. Man, this thing needs 25 grand worth of work. <laughs> Everyone it thinks make it's it. worth I'll gold. Lose, I'll lose 15,000 buying this house, man. What are you talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. So they go list it. And it goes from 250 to 240 to 230 to 225. And maybe I offer 170, you know, I don't know, something random. Mm-hmm. And then it gets down to like 210. And, we, and then six months has gone by. And we call them back. And that 170 was probably low. We probably pay more than that. But, you know, that's just coming in low. Yep. And they're like, oh, man, it's listed, you know, at 220. And they're like, well, I offered you 170. I can maybe pay you 190. Why don't you fire that agent and come work with me? I'll save you a bunch of hassle. And you ain't got to pay all that commission. So at the end of the day, you're going to get the same number. Yeah, and every, and everyone wins. You win, you get the property at the price you Absolutely. want. Absolutely, we do that yeah. all the time. We do that all the time. Oh yeah. So on these <laughs> on, on these uh, fix and flips, you do. Is there a reason why you fix them, sell them right off, and why you don't hold them as a rental because of short term capital gains? That's like what I think of when I think of a fix and flip. I think of short term capital gains. Talk to me a little bit about that. Okay, so clarify your question. Simplify that for me. I'm I'm not that smart. <laughs> you've got to be that smart if you're dealing with what you're dealing with. Um, so if you sell a property within a year, you pay a higher uh, percentage of tax on the gains, but if you keep it. Yeah. So any, year, any wholesale transaction, not any, there's not for wholesale for fix and flip. Right. But any wholesale is going to have a capital gain of, of, of your, of a higher rate, of course, because it's a flip okay. Yep. and it's not season the year. A fl- and then, and then, and then a flip that's less than a year. Yeah, of course. So the, the reason that we do flips is because we have a lot of overhead. Okay. You know, if we could just, if every property that we, that we acquired, if we could keep as a rental, we would. But we got an office manager who does all of our clothing coordination. We got two virtual assistants overseas that are making calls all day long for us and answering calls. Um, we have a bookkeeper. I have a dispositions person and an acquisitions guy. So we got to pay these people. And the rental income is a get wealthy, slow game. It doesn't bring right. in 50 grand a month. Not overnight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once you get to 150 properties, yeah, you'll make 50 grand a month or, you know, whatever, 40 grand a month, 35 grand a month. But in the meantime, you got to feed the engine. Okay. So we so rehab just to make up, just to make a larger profit to be able to pay for operations. Mm, okay. Basically all of our rehab, it goes back into our marketing budget. It goes back into the overhead of the company. It goes back into, you know, just anything and everything. The okay, rental so income, the rental income that we have up to 63 properties, we basically uh, let that build up and then use that to rehab one of the next properties in line. Okay. That makes sense. So you're willing to take that initial hit a little more to, to fuel the engine really is what it is. Yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, you, we'd only be able to buy, you know, maybe five to 10 rentals a year. But, you know, last year we, we bought over 50. So, okay. yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's play it out. Um, let's say you're doing the Maller, the Maller strategy. So you send it out. What's it really say on it? Can take me through the process of literally step one from you ordering it and how you order it, how you send it out, and all the way to when you actually take the property under contract. Yeah, no problem. So there's two ways, we talked about this earlier, there's two ways to go about marketing. You can hunt or you can fish. I recommend you do both, but obviously if you're lazy like me, you're going to want to fish. You're going to spend some money on a marketing budget and you're going to want to get your phone ring. How do you do that? Very simple. You put out bandit signs. You can buy a list and you can mail those people. Let's talk about lists. You can go on list source, you can go on listability. 
or you can use uh, sites like PropStream. And these sites will let you pull lists based upon zip codes or counties, and you can allocate what you're looking for. So I look for vacant houses. I look for absentee owned, which just means that the owner doesn't live there. They can live on the street, but they can live across the world. They own it, they don't live there. Okay. It doesn't mean that it's vacant though. If somebody else lives there, it's just, it's just a rental, right? Or it's just an, it's an absentee owned mm -hmm. house. Vacants yeah. and absentees are different. Now they can be the same. You can have an absentee owned vacant house, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, right? So absentee uh, owned are always great. Vacants are always great. And then of course, high equity. There's no easier way to let some, or to, to, to get somebody to agree to sell you a property at a discount when they have the discount to give, right? Oh yeah. We, I have had, in, in the last five years, I've probably had maybe eight or nine people, not quite 10, but eight or nine people that have sold me a house that has brought at least 25 to 30,000 to closing. I had one just two weeks ago, a guy brought 36 grand to close. Mm. He paid 36 grand to the mortgage company to sell it to me because my offer was 36,000 less than what he owed on it. That's how motivated he was. And I don't chase deals. I say, hey, you want to sell this thing next week? Here's my number. And if you don't like my number, don't call it. I'm not trying to be okay. rude, but no, you know, yeah. I don't chase I don't chase deals. Why would I provide my convenience to somebody that's not willing to trade that discount? That's yeah. all I do. If somebody has equity, it makes it very simple for them to part with it to get that problem solved. So vacant lists are great, absentee owner lists are great, high equity lists are great, absentee and high equity on the same list. Also great. Other than that, there's a lot of little niche lists out there. I don't really like using all the little ones, especially the ones that are real expensive because it just seems like a waste of money to me. But we like to cold call for sale by owners. We like to cold call section eight landlords. Mm -hmm. And then of course, we always like to cold call the, the new for sale by owners. Because they're typically selling. Sale by owners. Oh yeah. I mean, the virtual assistants are calling them, you know, maybe one in 200 of them will be willing to sell a discount, but They'll set up an appointment and we'll go get it, you know? So, right. but other than that, I mean, I don't want to throw a 30 list at you guys and complicate everything because this business is simple. Don't, don't worry about it. If this is your first list, go get a vacant house list or an absentee owned list. You can get that on list source or listability without a subscription. You can just pay for it. And then from there, take that list to a mail house, an online mail house. You want to know who I use? I use a guy named Ryan at REI Print Mail. His name's Ryan Dixon. Look him up. You can call him and tell him that you heard it from me. He's my guy. I, I do all my mail through him. Not all, most. I also sometimes use yellowletterhq.com. I know okay, the owner. Yeah, I heard of that one. Yellowletterhq is great. been using them for years. Very simple. It's mostly done online. And you just send your list the same way you buy it. You don't have to go in and clean it up. They do it for mm. you. It's great. Nice, nice. Yeah, you go on list source and download it. You just forward that email over to them and then boom, it's done and pay them and then it's out. And it's very automatic them, system. Oh yeah. And I usually don't even pick the mailer. I just say, what's popular? Do that. I don't really care. It's not about, there is no magic bullet with the mailer, a yellow one and a pink one and a green one. I mean, yeah, if you send a hundred thousand of them, you might notice a difference, mm. right? But mm -hmm. if you're sending out, you know, a thousand or 2000 at a time, it doesn't, People get so hung up on the message. As long as your message states that you are here to solve a problem by buying their house and paying cash and offering them a convenience of closing quick, that's, that's the solution. It doesn't matter if it's pink, green, blue, or black. All right? Yeah. Just get the marketing out there. And that's, that's what my coach taught me at the three-month mark. Dave, how many people are calling you back from your cold calling? Very, very few. Very few. Well, then you need to do something else to get your phone ringing, like send postcards or do AdWords or just put bandit signs out. Do something to get your phone ringing. And that's what I started doing. And two weeks later, I had a deal. There you go. It's not, it's not hard, guys. This is very simple. Play me through uh, someone sees one of your bandit signs. Someone gets one of your uh, postcards in the mail. They ring you up. Hey, hey, what's going on? You probably don't have a script, but what's the way you go about it? So the BA seven script, I like to just be a people person. Okay. Hi, this is Dave. Hey, Dave, this is Jim. I got one of your postcards or I heard your radio advertisement. Oh, great, Jim. How'd you like it? 
You like the radio? It's pretty catchy. Yeah, it's a good, good ad, man. It's a good ad. Well, Jim, what can I do for you today? Well, Dave, I got this property. All right, great. Well, I should give you the address and tell me a little bit of information about it. And while he's doing that, I pull it up on Zillow if I'm, um, if I'm in the car or on the road. Yep. And just look at it and take some notes. If I'm in front of my computer, I'll start putting it all in my CRM and I'll pull comps. But essentially, I'll ask him what, he, what he's looking to get for it. And then I'll make them a verbal offer, usually anywhere between 50 and 70 cents on the dollar, depending on the part of town. And I'm making that offer sight unseen just to gauge his motivation. If he says, ah, I'd like to get a little more than that, but we're in the ballpark, hey, he's got some motivation. At that point, I say, Jim, when, when can I come see it, man? You, you, you there now? I'm on my way. Or let's meet, you know, this Saturday. Can we meet Saturday? Great. I'll go take a look at it. I'll send my acquisition guy to go look at it. There you go. Okay. So it's really cut says, and dry simple. Well, it's so simple, guys. Everybody's just to complicate it. This is, this, is, this is me giving you $25,000 worth of coaching right here that I paid people to teach me this shit. So I pull it up on Zillow. And, and if, if the and I don't like estimates because they're never right. Well, I shouldn't say never. They're getting better. As an but, agent, I, I hate estimates. <laughs> right, right. But if a estimate is 150 and the seller's asking 220 do you have a deal? Most likely not. If anything, the estimate's going to typically be high, not low. Right. From my experience. Mm -hmm. All right. So the estimate to me puts you in about the 70 to 80 percentile of where, what that property's worth. They can go either way, you know, and, and sometimes they're, they're, they're pretty close, but you can use that number because basically I would say of the 400 deals that I bought in the last five years, I'd say less than 30 of those. So less than 10%, no, nah, probably less than that. Probably, 15, probably less than 15 deals had a lower estimate than what I paid for it. I'm always coming in low. So if they are, if the estimate, for example, says, you know, 120 grand, and they think that they're, you know, they think that they may be able to get 110 for it, but it needs some work. Why are you calling me, man? Call an agent. Yeah. Like, do you need, do you need to close some, like, next Thursday? Well, no. Well, you're not going to get that number from me. I'll give you 60. <laughs> I'll give you 70, <laughs> right? Yeah. And if they say, Dave, I'm going to prison next week for my fourth DWI. You know, I, this thing, if I'm in prison, I can't make the mortgage payments. I'm going to lose it. All right, well, we can close on Thursday. Can you do 70 grand? Deal. That's motivation. Discount for convenience. That's it. That's all you're doing, guys. You're trading a discount. You're trading convenience for a discount. That's it. So it is I've so talked, incredibly simple. It, it really is. And I've talked to so many different investors, so many guys that do what you do. And you just break it down so easy. You, you dumb it right down. I mean, it's just. Man, I'm not this smart. I, you got to keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. I do. When, when you go to meet these people, when you go to their properties, do you bring a contractor with you to get an idea for what work needs to be done? Or you typically know just because you've been in so many houses, you can just tell? Nope. So I do it myself. So okay. there's three ways to determine your cost of repair. Number one is the rule of fives. Anything that you see that needs work, now you got to generalize here. Mm -hmm. It's going to be five grand. Unless okay. it's a big thing, then it's going to be 10 grand. So it's two fives. So when I walk into a house and it needs paint, five grand. It needs flooring, five grand. It needs a bathroom, hmm. five grand. It needs a kitchen, that's basically two bathrooms. So that's two fives. That's 10 grand. Okay. If it needs a roof, and it's a small house, five grand. Needs a roof. It's a big house. Ten grand. Rule of fives. Again, dumbing Very it down simple. completely. Yeah. Dumb it down, guys. Because at the end of the day, you're going to come up with a number of thirty-five grand, and it might end up being thirty-eight. Who yeah. gives a shit? You're close, right? Yeah, and you you secured it when you bought it, so it doesn't matter if you went three grand over the budget. And, and really, you want to go over on your estimate, not under. Yeah. Add another five at the end, just just for shits and giggles. Who cares? You got you got to get that number down. The second way to determine your repair estimate is the square footage multiplier. Now, this is actually very simple. There is three ways that we do it. Now, you can, you can add or remove from this if you like, but the three ways that we do are we, we take the square footage of the house, which go on Zillow or Redfin or Realtor.com and type in the address, and it's going to pop right up. Go to your tax records, and you can find it there. Multiply that by either... 15, 25, or 40. That's it. 15 if it doesn't need a lot of work. 
cosmetic. Like it maybe needs paint and carpet. And you'll probably spend less than that. But again, overestimate these numbers because I'll tell you right now, when you estimate 50, 60 grand on a rehab that you're really doing and you spend 90, you're going to be pissed off. Don't yeah. it? 10 times. So you never know. I mean, once you start ripping things out, it's going to get expensive. So if it doesn't need much, $15 a foot. Okay. And I'll sometimes go a little lower than that if it's like literally almost moving ready. Right. But I very rarely go below 10. But just average it at 15, 15 bucks if it's just cosmetic. 25 if it like needs a kitchen and a bath or some windows and a roof. Like, you know, it needs a lot of stuff, not just cosmetic. And then $40 a foot is basically a full blown rehab in my market. If you live in a crazy market, you need to, you know, maybe scale those numbers up a little bit. Yeah. What's but the like, average median price in your market? Uh, that's a good question, man. I, I'd say 140, maybe somewhere in that, somewhere in that range. Oh I'm yeah. Guessing. So we're, we're just about spot on market wise. Yeah. Okay. So the median list price per square foot in St. Louis is $122. Oh, wow. Which is lower than the St. Louis Metro average of 134. That's, that's a real low average. What are your taxes like there? Pretty, they're pretty low. Okay. Huh. Yeah, so it looks like the average home is like 126K. No, no, median. Huh. Well, median list price is 149. Median sale price is 152. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say Zillow Home Value Index has it at 126. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I mean, Dave, you've just you've dumbed it down so much. You've made such what seems to be, and everyone always thinks a con a concept that's just very confusing, very easy. And I think if everyone had it with the approach you have, they'd be crazy not to take advantage of it. I mean, they should get your book immediately. If your book is anything like what you've talked about today, it's just filled with information for such a low. Yeah, level. man, the book's only fifteen bucks, guys. I think I make like yeah. four dollars a copy. That's cool. It's not a really big profit center for me. It's right. really just a big business card, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, so yeah, true. we make a little bit of money on it. It's, it's, you know, we don't do it for free, but I, mean, I think we make $4, guys. So it's not like I'm making a ton of money on it. But I put this book out because, man, I had 300 people wanting to take me to coffee. And it's like, I can only drink so much coffee, you know? And, Dave, can and the reason, take a little bit of your time? Just a little bit? Right, right. Coffee. And I don't mind it, but it's just sometimes you can't, you just, you're too busy. Right. And also it was, it's kind of fun because, you know, it was a place to kind of organize all of our thoughts, yeah. you know, and, and keep, keep everything organized too. So it took my partner and I, maybe not two years, but I'd say every bit of a year and a half to write it. And yeah. it's 35 chapters, 270 pages. It's, it's, a, it's A to Z. I mean, it, it's, we thought it was kind of corny calling it the ultimate guide to wholesaling real estate, but it, it truly is. I mean, it is A to Z selling real estate or, you know, wholesaling real estate. Yeah, so, no, that, that's awesome. Yeah, guys, I, I'd pick, I mean, I'd definitely pick it up. I love to read. I like to read. I don't read a ton. I maybe get through two books a month, sometimes three, but, you know, whatever. And um, this is a good, easy read, too. Good. Okay. Any Anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with? So I think we're going to wrap it up here shortly. Any nuggets of information, any advice, anything else you have for us? You make your money when you buy. You get paid when you sell. Do not forget that. Okay. It's the most important thing. If you overpay for a property, I don't care what you do, it is going to be more difficult to make money on that property than if you didn't overpay for it. It's very simple. Yeah. So that, that would be the first thing I would say. Okay. Beat that into your guys' heads. You make your money when you buy, you get paid when you sell. Number two, wholesaling is not really investing. It is marketing. If you want to be a wholesaler, Sure, you can invest by keeping the best and selling the rest. <laughs> but what you need to do is you need to start marketing. That's how you get leads. And that's how those good opportunities come in. And if you don't want to flip houses, like rehab them or own, or own you know, rentals and be a landlord, that's fine too. But it is a job. I'm going to warn you guys. Wholesaling is a job. It's labor intensive. It has awesome benefits, rewards, and advantages. But it's a lot of work too. It's a job. So if you want to choose real estate because you want freedom, wholesaling is a great way to make a lot of money very quickly. So then you can then go invest that money, but it, it is a job. It's, it's a lot of work. Now, when I say that it is simple and I think I do a pretty good job of simplifying it, I don't want you to get confused with easy. Simple and easy are not the same thing. 
You can make it easy by doing things consistently, right? Why are some people bad at marketing? Well, it's not because they're doing better marketing or worse marketing. It's because they do it and then they stop, right? Mm -hmm. Those who are good at this business consistently send postcards. They consistently put up bandit signs. They consistently pay Google to get on AdWords. Yep. They consistently do it. They consistently go on appointments. They consistently make offers. We make an offer on every single person that we talk to. And we try to send it in writing via email if we can. But for example, that guy on the call earlier that, we, that I was just role playing with myself. And he says, hey, you know, I'm looking for like, you know, maybe 140, 150, one down the street just sold for one, one, you know, 160. I'll say, all right, well, I'll give you 80 or 90 grand for it. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> hey, what's your email, Bob? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just send it over in writing just so you have it. I send him an offer. I, I got an automated system that I can do it in about 30 seconds. But we send a shoot ton, shit ton of offers. We try to send five a day. We don't always get that number. Some days we'll send eight or 10. But we shoot to, shoot to send five offers a day. Wow. Now, l- let's use this analogy just like we were talking about with fishing poles earlier. If I bring 50 fishing poles to the lake and you bring one, very similar to you making one offer and me making 50. Yeah. Off, the, the, the amount of offers you make is a direct correlation to the amount of contracts that you will get accepted. Yeah, that's very true. So if you are struggling getting a deal, I challenge you to make more offers. Or at first, I would ask you, how many offers did you make last week? And if that number isn't 20 or 30, well, then I don't even – this conversation is over. You yeah. know what you need to do. Go do that. There's go, the go first issue. Offers. Yeah. Boom. That's your issue. So come back whenever you've made 20 offers, and then, we'll, then I'll give you the next piece of advice, right? But there's no, there's no need to go buy that, you know, that, that fifth or eighth book or that go hire that, that second or third coaching program or whatever. Maybe it's your first one. Get my book, mm-hmm. of course, but, but you know, don't, <laughs> don't, don't go spend a ton of money on all this education it's simple do marketing to get your phone ringing or if you can't afford it that's fine i get it and i'm not saying put on a credit card like i did that you know if you can't manage your money don't do that but once you do a deal or two you start cold calling start door knocking start networking you can find deals that way all over you know what i used to do in the beginning that would give me a ton of deals that didn't cost me didn't cost me anything i cold called all the um all of the um management companies, the, the, the property management companies. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just saying on the phone, I walked in their offices, go drive around, make a list. There's probably 40 or 50 or 80 in your town. Who knows? They're everywhere. Make a huge list. Go drive around. Not go, go walk in, sit down. Hey, Bob, I see you got this management company. How many properties are you managing? 200? Oh man, that's awesome. Well, hey, guess what? If any of your clients have a house that a tenant moves out and they trash that place, I want that house. Don't even worry about having to deal with the, with the pain in the ass of, of cleaning it and fixing it for that guy. Make the commission and sell it to me. Mm, yep. Boom. And I still get leads from that when I did that four years ago. But if, if you don't have any money to just pay for marketing, do that. Cold call eviction attorneys. Try to get the contact information for the owner once they get evictions done. Yeah. You know, contact divorce attorneys. There's so many different ways. There's so many different ways, guys. There's so many different ways. And uh, and here's the thing. Don't think you need to do all of them because you're not going to do any of them if you do that. Just pick Mm -hmm. one of these ways. Start with the management companies or start with the lawyer. Just pick one and just do it and finish the list. Don't just do it five or 10 minutes or go to five people's offices. Make a list of 50 or 80 and go to every office. It may take you a month, right? But once you get through that, you don't need to worry about it anymore. And then yep. follow up with them. Put them on an email drip, like once a quarter. Hey, Bob, you know, just want to follow up. I'm, I'm so glad that I came in your office, you know, last couple months ago and met you. Haven't heard from you. Just want to remind you that I'm still looking for those houses, right? You can do that in your car on the way out of, on the, way out of the parking lot. And if you get a cool app that lets you delay email sends, you can send three or four emails before you even leave the parking lot on six month, 12 months, 18 months, 24 month schedule. Yeah, You've automated that's, your follow-up, right? That's great. Don't push that off. Do that immediately, right? Mm, so, yeah, I mean, there's so many ways, guys. Like, wholesaling is easy. 
is it, 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 easy and it's simple. And, and, and the more simple you make it, the easier it gets. That's the cool thing about it. You know, if you don't, if you don't have money to put towards marketing, well, we just discussed a ton of ways to do it for, you know, by using energy and, and, and allocating time. But I challenge you is once you get a deal or two and you have some money or you've made a little bit of money, reinvest it. Don't see, see, see I chose my words wisely there. I didn't say spend it on marketing. I said yeah. reinvest it mm -hmm. into marketing and then get your phone ringing. I'm lazy. I don't want to work that hard. <laughs> I, want, I want my phone to ring five to 10 times a day with somebody saying, Dave, I got this house that I need to sell. Cool. You there now? I'm on my way. Yeah. Just like your coach said, get your phone ringing, get your phone ringing. That's, that's a huge point. You, uh, Dave, you have, I've got a whole page of notes here, just stuff that I'm going to adjust what I've been doing now just to try it out. It's obviously worked for you. I follow you on Instagram. I see all the properties you're constantly posting, what number you're at. And you also put out great content on Instagram. It seems Thank like you. a larger Thank presence you. coming up with that. What, what is your Instagram? Where can people find out more about you? And uh, where can people it's, connect uh, with it's you? My it's my full name. My full name, David Allen. That's David, A-L-A-N, Dodge, like the car, D-O-D-G-E. David Allen Dodge. Awesome. And that's your Instagram? That's my, that's my IG. Yeah, buddy. There you go. Very good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're going to um, end yeah, it here. Yeah, sorry about the audio, guys. I'm really happy that we were able to, <laughs> to do this today, though. Yeah, um, the, the fact that we were able to pull some time aside is huge. Yeah, no problem, man. Happy to help, and I'm, I'm honored to be on the show, and I appreciate your time. And uh, if we ever do it again, I, I promise to use my, my fancy – Nice microphone instead of my cell phone here. <laughs> That's okay. First time I've done audio only, but hey, it worked. So thank you hey, again, no Dave. Worries. I really appreciate your time. Hey, anytime, Dante. I'll talk to you soon, my man. Have a great night. Yes, sir. You too. Thanks for listening. We hope you took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte. See you next time.